This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles and let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As you're turning, I encourage you again to pray for the O'Malley's. John and Kim came down with COVID in God's plan. And so uh, we have had to alternate the or amend the preaching schedule. Uh, but I trust that God has used that to encourage you, to help you. My heart has been blessed uh, through the messages that we have heard. Dr. O'Malley was supposed to preach to the Pastors Fellowship, Tidewater Pastors Fellowship, on Friday morning, and uh, instead Scott McCain spoke, and uh, what a powerful message that was in, in the way God used it in hearts, and especially my heart. I was grateful uh, for that message, the theme of suffering. Well, on Wednesday night, I had us look at some of these truths, and what we studied was the Macedonian model of grace giving, 2 Corinthians 8. God used the careful stewardship and the sacrifice of destitute, persecuted Christians to supernaturally, in part, their sacrifice supply the needs of Paul. Remember, he was the missionary who had preached the gospel to them, and, and it helped plant those churches. So now they're benefiting, though they don't have material possessions, they are blessed, they are benefiting uh, from the work of the gospel that was done in places like Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. So God was using them to help this missionary, but God was also going to use them to help the needy saints in Jerusalem, that church in Jerusalem that was facing intense persecution. We get a little flavor of the persecution because there were Jews that were leaving Jerusalem and tracking these missionary teams, Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, and so on. Uh, but the folks back in Jerusalem, or, or the Pharisees, the others back there, their, their work was intensifying. Some of them thought if we can end it here, it won't spread out there. And so what we see happening in the empire was magnified back home, and the Jerusalem church was really experiencing the brunt of what God was doing, Satan's reaction to that, what God was doing uh, throughout the Roman Empire. And so what do we learn about these Macedonians? Well, I believe that they had in view, in focus, the gospel. It wasn't, we feel sorry for Paul, we feel sorry for the saints in Jerusalem, so we th we'll help them out. They understood we need to continue to help meet needs so that they can continue gospel ministry, just like God wants us to continue gospel ministry here. And so they were helping to supply each other's needs for the cause. The cause was not helping fellow Christians have a better life. No, it was enabling them, encouraging them, so they could continue in the work. 
2 Corinthians 8.3 says this, For to their power, again, just uh, reflecting on good stewardship, they understood that what they already had belonged to the Lord. So, for of their power I bear record, and then beyond their power, this is faith sacrifice, uh, grace giving, they were, and what's the next word? Willing. Beyond their power. They had yielded themselves to the Lord, and now what God was doing through them was beyond what physically they could have done themselves. Now, what made them willing and enabled them to give beyond their power? Well, verse 5 tells us, they first gave their own selves to the Lord. It's easy to come to an end of a missions conference and think, well, we have some more lights to turn on. I hope this is motivational. If any motivating is going to be done, it's going to be the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, because we can be humanly motivated, we can make commitments, but that doesn't mean those commitments will last. When they're of God, that's different. And so... Even through this week, we have been reminded, and already some themes this morning reminding us, it's not who we are in ourselves. It's what God can do through us. For by grace, you're saved through faith. And what's the next phrase? Not of yourselves. There isn't a single person here who can save themselves and help themselves get to heaven. It is the work of God who graciously works in our hearts, helps us understand the, God, understand the gospel. He works in others' lives so they come alongside us, present us with the gospel. For by grace you're saved through faith. And who does God call? All the smart people. No. Now, I get a little intimidated Brother Rayfeld stands up here and he starts talking and here's, here's all the, and he's using words about technology that I, I'm, I'm on my phone saying, what does that mean? You know, what? Oh, that's, that's what that is. Okay. But honestly, God doesn't choose the mighty and the wise. He chooses the foolish things of this world. Why? So that through people like me, he can be magnified. So I'm saved by grace, I'm sanctified, and I serve by grace. So the Macedonian model was given for our consideration, but more importantly for our implementation. God wants us to be like them. I like what Dr. John Halsey says, grace is not bestowed, so it can be stowed. We don't get all we can, so we can can all we get. If Christians would give themselves to the Lord, it would solve every missions problem there is. How so? Well, when God has us, he has our hearts. And the laborer problem is solved. I really wonder what it would be like at Good News if everyone where God touched his or her heart and said, go to the harvest field, would go. If God has your heart, the laborer problem is solved. 
When God has us, he has our pocketbooks. Therefore, the funding problem is solved. God's grace is meant to take a yielded life and make it more productive than any of us could ask or think. And listen, that is the key to what Jesus said. You're going to do greater works than I have done. Whoa. Really? Yeah, because it's not us doing greater works. He's going to heaven and he's sending a comforter of the very same kind and the Holy Spirit now indwells every Christian here and through you, he's going to do the greater works. But does this describe your life? Paul sent Titus to Corinth to exhort the church to allow God's grace to do the same work in them. Go back to chapter 8 and look at verse 6. Pastor Long touched on this when he preached earlier this week, insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. He didn't send Titus to be a motivational speaker. He sent Titus to admonish them to let the same grace do its work in their lives in Corinth. He didn't go to collect an offering. He went to exhort them to give their own selves to the Lord. If they did this, the issue of what God could do through Corinthian offering would be settled. So this morning, let's, let's talk about Look at from Scripture, grace giving, what God can do through you. What can God do through you? Because I am convinced that there are some sitting here this morning, and you've heard these things, you've looked at missionaries, and you've thought, I'm so glad God gifted them to do that. I could never, and then your brain starts overthinking things it's very simple God has given you his spirit I am amazed at a simple light and how it can cast light into a dark room but the principle with all those lights works the same way listen take the cord plug it into the power now those, those lamps, they can look different. Some can be prettier than others. Same principle. Plug it into the power. Then it accomplishes what it was designed to do. What can God do through you? Notice what Paul says to the Corinthians. I'm in chapter 8. Let's look back at verse 7 now. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Again, Pastor Long commented on the fact that, that the, the first letter that Paul wrote to this church was pretty direct and pretty strong. Of course, it was the Holy Spirit trying to speak to them. They had made many things right. And Paul is rejoicing now in what God has done through them but now he says you abound in this grace of giving also 
Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. So the apostle gives some specific admonitions about grace giving. Let's look at these quickly. First of all, he starts by saying believers are not commanded to give to this offering. I speak not by commandment. Now, I've never preached on faith promise and had a Christian openly say, Amen. You might be thinking it this morning. Okay, it's not commanded. Ah, Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We are commanded to give our tithes. We're commanded to give offerings. We're told to go and make disciples. That's our conference theme. We're admonished to be faithful in the local assembly of believers, to edify. Again, this is like a team meeting. We worship the Lord and then we are challenged for our service, future service, even what we will do for God this week. But those who are willing to trust and take this step of grace giving must do so, here's the whole point, from a willing heart. From a willing heart. Give from a willing heart. Again, the churches in Macedonia, notice, were willing of themselves. And so they gave. In chapter 8, verse 12, says that this will also require a willing mind. Do you see that? They gave, uh, for if there uh, be first a willing mind, it is acceptable according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. All right. So the Lord is helping them understand. In order for you to be doing right, you have to be thinking right in this regard. This is where giving of ourselves begins. It begins in the mind. Right thinkers are generous givers. There are multiple passages that we could go to to help illustrate that. But here's what we have to remember. God doesn't need your money. But he does require from us a loving heart for himself that will drive the purposes he wants to accomplish through us. Let me say that again. He doesn't need your money, but he does require from us a loving heart for himself that will drive, motivate the purposes that he wants to accomplish in us. Think of what could happen if our mind was set on the love of God and the fact that we should love him because he first loved us. Think of what God has done for you because God so loved the world. Just meditate. Stop and think about where you would be today if God hadn't saved you. Oh. I think about our family, German background, drunks, and, and, and the things that, that I've shared with you in personal testimony before. If God hadn't reached in to our clan and started saving people. Now watch how this works. Go back to chapter or go over to chapter nine and notice verse seven. Every man as he purposeth in his heart, according as he purposeth in his heart, 
so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And uh, you've heard preachers preach on this. The word cheerful means hilarious. <laughs> oh, you need this? This is exciting. Yes! And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all, all things, may abound to every good work. So word of purpose ahead of time. If and what? God would have us to give. Okay? The following attitudes tell us when we are giving with a heart that is right. What are the words he uses? Well, we're to give, uh, we're to be giving not grudgingly. We're not to give in to, this is the internal pressure. It's the opposite of cheerful. An unwilling heart uh, just going along with me in view. So let me explain this. So we, we talk about these faith promise commitments. Uh, we think about tithing. And there is legitimate negative motivation. All right? Uh, there is positive peer pressure. But God doesn't want that when it comes to our giving. Well, I see what other Christians do and, well, okay. No, that's, that's grudging. And here's the problem. That attitude has me in view. If I do this, I'm denying me. I don't want to deny me. The best thing you could do is not serve you and serve Christ. So, not grudgingly or of necessity... While grudging is internal pressure, necessity is external pressure. Feeling compelled or obligated with man in view. Okay, this isn't what I have to give up. This is, and uh, we heard it earlier in a testimony, if, I, if everybody's going to think I'm a good Christian, a good preacher, uh, preacher's kid, this is what I do. I, this is how I have to look. Okay, this is with man in view. What others think. That's giving of necessity. Instead, God wants us to give cheerfully. This is giving with joy as a result of not internal pressure, external pressure, but heavenly pressure. With God in view. Because we love Him. Because we trust Him. He is the great provider. Question, do you have any reason not to trust Him? And by the way, don't listen to your flesh when you answer that question. Well, but they have this and I don't. They have better circumstances. Stop! Do you really have any reason to question the provision and the goodness of the Lord? The answer is no. So let's consider again the attitude of the Macedonians, this cheerful spirit. Chapter 8, I'm looking at verse 4. Praying with us. This is what they besought uh, Paul. They entreated him. They begged him that he would receive the gift. That's the free will offering. And take upon us the fellowship cooperating for the ministering of the saints. You know what that tells me? That when they presented this offering, Paul is like, I know your struggles I feel guilty even taking this offering. 
you need this. No, no, Paul. No, no, this is what God provided. You take this. Or there are others that need it more than we do. So do you have a willing heart when it comes to faith giving? If you aren't convinced about faith promise from God's word, then please don't give. I, I say that sincerely. I have no scriptural authority to command this. And I try to be very careful not to apply human pressure when it comes to missions conference and faith promise giving. God has to convince you. But I will remind you again, it was never you making anything happen. Salvation, grace through faith. Sanctification, grace as we continue to trust the Lord. Call to the mission field, call to the harvest field, grace and what God is able to do. That has to be the convincement. With that said, you will not be led in any grace giving unless you first give yourself to the Lord. It's where it starts. The fact that this offering is voluntary may help you feel better if you have not committed yourself to Christ. But the next part of chapter 8, verse 8, should remove your comfort. Look at this. I speak not commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your what? Your love. Again, here's where the rub is. Here's the conflict. God is working in my heart to give to missions. That may mean less for me. Whoa, whoa. Okay, so we have a love problem. Do I love him who is the provider of all that I have? Or do and, and is it up to me to keep some back for me? Again, this kind of giving is meant to prove the sincerity of our love. Some Christians aren't involved in missions. They don't give to missions. Our Savior sees, sees this for what it is. I've been raised in churches like this, have pastored churches like this, and in every church there are some who do nothing year after year after year for missions. They're not a missions conference. They don't give to missions. Now, that's not advertised, okay? Uh, again, we don't want human pressure. But here's the pressure from the Lord. There is a love problem. When we claim to be saved, but we're unwilling to be involved in helping others know how to be saved. So this brings us to another important point about grace giving. A point that logically follows giving from a willing, loving heart. And that is, we should give with a willing heart, but ultimately, we should be giving from a worshipful heart. Again, chapter 8, look at verse 9. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. 
Now, grace is from God. But here's what's amazing to me. When Jesus came to this earth, became flesh, he did not have a sin nature. He was born of a virgin. But he still had human flesh. What does your New Testament tell you about the flesh? Nothing good about it. So Jesus could be and was tested in every point as we are yet without sin. Same flesh. He relied on grace enablement too. Now stay with me. If he did not have to depend on the Holy Spirit for grace, then the, at his baptism, the dove coming down, the Lord going forth in that strength to be tempted, and then his entire earthly ministry, none of that really means much. But he had the same flesh, listen, and he depended on the Holy Spirit as an example to you and me. And through that grace, what did he sacrifice? Everything. And you're going to see this in the text. The fact that Jesus gave himself to save us should impact our giving of ourselves and then our substance so that others could be saved. So let's look at the example of Christ. This answers the question how Jesus did what he did. It was grace enablement. It also answers the motivation question of why Jesus died for us. He went to the cross out of love for his Father and for us. He's our perfect example. How far did grace enable him to go? Let me ask you a question, and you already know the answer, so it's rhetorical. Has anyone here ever been under so much pressure physically that you literally sweated blood? Don't answer. I never have. I've had some anxious moments. I think, and this is sanctified speculation as Dr. Mark Minnick puts it sometimes. I think what we see when Jesus sweated blood, you see the divine nature and the human coming together at the same time. As God, what did Jesus know in the flesh? Everything. Aren't you thankful today you don't know how your life is going to end? Jesus did. He knew every circumstance, everything. Everything that was going to happen in those coming hours, he knew it all. Which is why he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, and this is grace, not my will, but what? Thine be done. Aren't you glad he went through with it? Did he have a choice? All right, think about that. Because my Bible says he could have sent 10,000 angels to take him off that cross. Did he have a choice? He had a choice. But as God, and through grace, he went through with what 
God had called him to do. Why? Because he, he loves the Father. Totally submitted to the Father. Now, these, these are things where, again, my mind starts to, you know, the, the live stream starts flickering, if you know what I mean. Okay. But he's our perfect example. And what was the extent that grace enabled him to do? He sacrificed all. He gave himself for us. Now think about this. He gave himself, gave up heaven's riches. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now let me connect some dots here. We'll be done soon. But listen. What the Macedonians were physically and spiritually. If you go back to chapter 8 and verse 2, their poverty. You know what that word means? Beggar status. That's where they were. The folks who were receiving an offering for the saints in Jerusalem, beggar status. Abject poverty. Listen, chapter 8, verse 9. Do you know what Jesus became when he came to this earth? Beggar status. The king left heaven to become like the Macedonians. You know what? He left heaven to become like Mike. Wealth beyond imagination. Beggar status. Why? To make us rich. Someday he'll make us physically rich. Not talking about now. But every Christian here ought to have that firm understanding. You know what? In Christ, I am rich. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Read about the inheritance that we have in Christ. So our willing, worshipful giving proves that we love Him back. Christian, if you truly love the Lord for His sacrifice for you, it will impact your living and it will impact your giving if love doesn't affect your giving well the apostle john clearly identifies the problem first john 2 15 love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him you know what you know what that is literally saying if we love the world we don't have love for the father you can't love both in your heart. I can't love both. So if you love the things of the world, you'll be committed to giving to yourself. And you won't take giving to God seriously. Your, com your commitment to the Savior will be lacking. And... What you do for lost souls really isn't going to matter. So, this is Paul's admonition in the text about grace giving. Now, let's look at the advantages of grace giving. Okay? We, we could stop the message with the admonitions. And they, they ought to motivate us. Perhaps some here need to be more convicted about this. Do I really love the Lord? Am I, do I love him where I keep his commandments? Am I, am I focused on what I have in Christ so that I'm willing to give, give him everything? Such love demands my life, my soul, my all. 
But here are the advantages. What does God do for the cheerful giver? Chapter 9, look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. See that? Another reference to grace. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. All right. The same God who enables us to give by faith also rewards us with sufficiency in all things. Here's, here's the point. In your life, when you start allowing God to enable you here and here and here, you know what? You're going to find he is sufficient. He'll enable me for everything else that I need to do, including the ability to abound in every good work. Now, what are those good works? Look at verse 9 again. He hath dispersed abroad. Speaking of seed or other resources that we sow with full and open hand, it's the Lord's. He that soweth sparingly will reap what? Sparingly. He that soweth bountifully, here's the idea, open hand will reap bountifully. When we first give ourselves to the Lord, all of our material possessions then are viewed in light of how he might use them for himself. I didn't bring anything into this world. I'm not taking anything out. Everything I have is from him. So I ought to use it for him for what really matters and is eternal. He's dispersed abroad. Again, I, I, I know that Paul here is referring to these Macedonians, what they're experiencing about what any believer can experience who gives themselves to the Lord. Notice next, he hath given to the poor. That word poor, here's our Greek word again. Even if we are at beggar status through the one who became beggar status for us, we can give generously to others who are in beggar status. I almost feel like I ought to repeat that. He became poor to help those of us who are destitute spiritually. And even physically when we're destitute, when we know him, we've been made rich by him. As we depend on him, what will the Lord do? Help us out of our beggarliness to be able to generously help those who are at beggar status. He hath given to the poor, and then his righteousness endures forever. In light of all of this, lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moss and rust corrupts, thieves break in and steal. Yesterday I was mowing a lawn. My wallet fell out. I didn't see it, and the mower got it. How typical of life. <laughs> Things we treasure up and I didn't even know it was gone. Until it was spread all over the yard. Okay. That's life. But in light of eternity, when, when I give to the Lord, it's sure for his glory. 
The evidence of our positional righteousness in Christ, evidence itself in practical righteousness, which is grace-giving, the ultimate benefits of that giving for the spiritual well-being of others, it's eternal. So quickly, let me, let me just say this. How do you read the prayer letters we get from our missionaries? How, how do you read those? What's your mindset? When I read that the benders in the church in Eyemouth in Scotland recently saw two people saved, I should be thinking, God allowed me to give to enlarge his family in heaven because folks are being saved in Scotland. And as I give to missions, my righteousness meeting my obligations to God, that has earned reward that will endure forever. So in heaven, I get to be with those people. In light of eternity, we're going to all know each other, first name basis, it's going to be awesome. But the fact that I was willing to love the Lord enough to let him work through me grace giving to support a missionary in Scotland so that folks there could be saved. In heaven, eternal reward. My righteousness in Christ, their righteousness in Christ, and all of us there enjoying our inheritance because of Christ. That's the way we ought to view this. I get to be a part of something that is global eternal now in the context I believe the advantages of God's blessing is for individuals and for churches I hear many positive comments about good news and and it it encourages my heart here's what encourages my heart though we all get to reap the blessing of Christians in this church family, in this assembly, who are letting the grace of God work through them to change them and to support missions. We all benefit from that. The point is, you need to be a part of that. You're the church. But as I look at these texts, chapter 8, verse 1 Paul isn't just speaking about an individual Christian here or here or here. Now the missionaries will tell you they're thankful for Christians like that because they have individual supporters. But what I see in chapter 8 verse 1, the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Paul's admonitions here are to the church at Corinth. So despite our shortcomings, I believe God continues to reward this assembly as a whole for the grace giving that is taking place here. And that giving isn't just financial. This church is committed to giving towards physical needs that doors might be opened to the gospel. And so the fellow Christians who struggle physically, uh, paying bills and so on, might be able to stay in the work and contribute to the cause. By the way, that's why sometimes we really struggle with benevolent needs when Christians are there to take, but they're never involved in the work. Shouldn't be that way. 
So will you allow me to conclude with a personal testimony? Over the years, the Ashers, and I don't like doing this. I'm uncomfortable with this. But I hope this will encourage you. We have had financial setbacks. I believe every Christian should be saving money. It's part of being good stewards. But Renee and I at times would jokingly say that we thought God was against us having a savings account. Because every time we save some money, some necessity drained the account. How many of you have ever been there? Oh, okay, all right. Eleven children had a part. Just saying. All right. But looking back, through those tough times, God enabled us to practice grace giving. And the oil and the meal never ran out. Do you want to know the best part? Through it all, we've had always what we needed. But that's not the best part. Through it all, God has grown our faith. We know we can trust him as he keeps providing. And as we trust him by grace giving, he continues to give that so we can give to his work. And we're excited. We don't have much, but there's great reward because of what he's provided. Faith promise. Giving isn't commanded by God, but what God can do through your grace giving cannot be measured. The advantages far exceed anything that we could ask or think. So let's follow Jesus' example. Let's be willing and worshipful in our hearts. And let's watch grace work. Father, thank you for the example of the Macedonians Lord, once in a while, well, in the, New, or in the Old Testament, we read about wealthy people. In the New Testament, there are a few, like Philemon. But Lord, the reality is, a lot of us are beggar status when it comes to what the world has. As... We live each day depending on you for your provision. And yet in Christ we are so rich. And so Lord, I would ask now that you would work in our hearts. That Father, we would be willing to trust you by grace. Acknowledging our own weakness, our own insufficiency so that we might learn what it is to be sufficient in you in all things. Pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.